0: Um, my thanks to Sasha for uh, inviting me to this uh, conference. It's been a great opportunity for me to get out of the very rarefied realm of being a dean, which I gladly re- retired from last year, and get back into the real world of research. Um, this is an opportunity, rather like John uh, started today, for me to go back to a problem uh, that I was looking at some years ago, and to um, revised, I think, my earlier thinking, but also to clarify my thinking about the calendars in ancient Cyprus. Um, I'd also like to thank Sasha for his wonderful paper last night, which was so wide-ranging and illuminating. Uh, I can't resist, since I am usually the person who's kind of the furthest to a conference on this side of the world, of saying I avoided the dateline, but I have not avoided the tyranny of the time zones. Whatever time it is now, I am 11 hours ahead of you in spirit in New Zealand. Uh, So that always slows the thinking process down. So please bear with me if I don't quite keep up either with myself or with the questions you ask later on. This paper started life, I thought, as a relatively straightforward investigation into what connections might be discovered between the archaic and classical Greek calendars of Cyprus and the sacred architecture of various sites in the island. Notably, coastal Kiteon, so Kiteon, Amathus, Kurion, Pyapathos, and inland Tamsos. Areas that I've gone back to physically to survey uh, the temples and sanctuaries in over the last five or six years, maybe longer. Uh, Trying to understand the cult on those sites, as far as we could try to put it together and see if it aligned at all with calendars that we have from the island. Uh, This was part of a collaborative research project with a colleague in Kent to see whether festivals, uh, whether we could discern when festivals at these sanctuaries took place within the festival year and within what physical landscape, both geographical and celestial. So it was very archaeoastronomical. Such a task is incomparably easier in the data-rich city of Athens, and there it had proved possible for us to meld together architecture, myth, calendars and astronomy to help us understand specific festivals associated with some of the sanctuaries on the Acropolis in Athens. The project on Cyprus was also part of a project on southwest Turkey and Sicily, and it was intended to let us see whether a similar approach that we'd used in Athens could be adopted with regard to areas of the Greek world where the evidence is less plentiful. I suppose not surprisingly, the difficulties became clear early on, given the limitation of the evidence to temple buildings dedicated to unknown gods and to very fragmentary and scattered documentary evidence in disparate societies across, in this case, quite a small island. So while that search for cultic life at these sites still remains a focus of my research, and if I've got time at the end, I'll show you an instance of it, it's been diverted somewhat by a growing realization that the paucity of calendrical evidence from the archaic and classical periods on Cyprus has meant that I felt I needed to look ahead to the later Hellenistic and Roman calendars of the island in the hope of understanding better what came before. And this diversion has developed to the point that I thought it better to bring something today on that, uh, particularly where there are experts, and I am thinking more particularly of Sasha here, there are experts here who are familiar with the evidence, perhaps better than I am, and who can lead me in the appropriate directions. The status quo at present, I think I'm right in saying, for the calendars of Cyprus is this, that we have at the first level pre-Hellenistic ones, in other words, what we call local civic calendars. Um, then we have the Hellenistic period uh, where we encounter the uh, in the aftermath of the uh, takeover of the island by, the, um, by Alexander the Great and then by his successors and more particularly Ptolemy of Egypt, uh, the Macedonian calendar which is attested from the middle of the third century BCE to as late as 217. And then, secondly, the Egyptian, or what's also called the East Cypriot calendar, which is attested from the middle of the 2nd century BCE to at least the 4th century CE. Uh, These are dates where we actually have documentary or epigraphic evidence for these. Of course, there's overlap here. There are periods where it's not that they ran without calendars, it's just that we don't have the hard evidence to show what it was they were using in any particular site. And then, thirdly, there's the Roman where we have the so-called Imperial or West Cypriot calendar. And as we'll see, apparently, two versions of it, one from 15 BCE or thereabouts revised around 2 BCE. So, sorry, yes, that should be uh, 2 BCE, not CE. So let's start with the pre-Hellenistic. And I'm being very vague in the dates here, because wherever you go for um, the analysis of this particular tablet, um, even in the British Museum where it's held, they'll provide you with two quite variant dates, um, depending on whether you're looking at it in the display or whether you look at it in the catalogue. So here we are with a tablet uh, called the Bulwer tablet, from the name of a former owner of it. Uh, It's two-sided, so you're looking at both sides simultaneously here of the uh, fragmentary tablet. Uh, Written in Cypriot syllabic script, um, which, if anything, bears more resemblance in its form and and, uh, nature to uh, Linear B, Mycenaean Linear B, than it does to historical Greek. Uh, It's a Terracotta tablet. Um, It came, perhaps, from the site of Acanthu, which is up here. That, at least when it was discovered, was where it was said to have been from, from a tomb in that uh, vicinity. Um, we'll say a little bit more in a minute about find spot uh, or Provenience. So up in northeastern Cyprus, um, and as I say, it dates somewhere between the 6th and 4th centuries BCE. Mitford, uh, in the 1960s, um, when he gave uh, what I suppose is the standard edition of this now, Uh, disagreed with the fine spots that had been um, provided for the uh, tablet and argued on the basis of the content of it as he read it that instead it may have come down from the southwest, from Kittroy, down here. Um, I don't know that there's really any... If you disagree with his reading of the tablet, there's no reason then to disagree with where it was originally said to have come from, a tomb near a canton. but we'll, as I say, carry on. What I'm interested in are these lines. As I say, it's two-sided, so uh, lines down there, and then turn it over, and we see two lines down there. Uh, at the top, as we can read it, um, we have three lines which provide, according to Mitford, um, probably the date on which the rest of the inscription hinges, Uh, ...led by the name of a Basileus, um, probably Androcles... ...and whether that is the title of a magistrate, or indeed a king, is debated. Um, And if it's a king, the only king of that name we could associate it with is not in this region... ...but actually in the southwest of Cyprus, in Amethyst, and uh, later in the fourth century. Um, so it's, it is uh, fragmentary, even those three, three lines there, but what they provide is perhaps the date of whatever goes on after that. What we have here um, uh, is a series of names which are in mostly nominative and then genitive, which Mitford read as uh, names of individuals with their patronymic. So, so-and-so, son of so-and-so. He was already at that time in the 1960s disagreeing with the German Neumann, who had instead looked at particularly the second names in the genitive, and noticed that two of those, and we've got 11 of them in this form, correspond well with two month names. Not in Cyprus, uh, as he had it then, uh, but in the calendar of Arcadia in Greece. And Arcadia is, while it's a very remote area of southern Greece, is archeologically and linguistically attached to Cyprus. Um, it is an area, as far as we can tell, archeologically, from which um, the late Bronze Age inhabitants actually escaped to eastwards uh, in the collapse of the Mycenaean world. Now, as I say, two names that we've got, so let's get it into a form we can read. Uh, Lapatone at the top, and Tuioni. Halfway down, so I'm not turning up here. Two only down here. Uh, are two names that resemble uh, um, Lapitos and Dios, respectively, in the calendar of Arcadia. Neumann argued that, therefore, the list presents 11 surviving month names in the order in which they occurred through the year. And much more recently, Trumpy, in her excellent book on the Greek calendar, uh, has accepted this interpretation. And what you find as you go through the literature on the Bulwer tablet is that there are two schools of thought, at least, neither of which look across the, uh, to the other. So there is a Germanic scholarship, which I'm going to be following, uh, Neumann and Trumpey, and which I would say the British Museum in its catalogue implicitly is following because it disagrees with Mitford, who is then the Anglophone school. and. Um, the uh, view that the British Museum adopts is that, yes, we've got two sets of names, and they look like individuals and month names, but we don't know what their purpose is. Um, So, uh, on the one hand, what Mitford did was say, we've got um, individuals with their patronymics, so-and-so, son of so-and-so, and and instead of reading Lapatoni as Lapatos, he read it instead as referring to the Greek word for a torch, and a torch festival, which is not known as a but it's known as Kittroy. So I'm probably losing you already in terms of what on earth is this tablet telling us. Um, But I'm simplifying it. I'll say I'm going to follow the German scholarship and say that what we've got are month names down here, initially on the basis that the Arcadian examples of Lapotos and Dios uh, give us that clue, that we should perhaps give the run for its money to the month names. There is another reason for that, and that is that um, there is a further month name, as we say, it, Aparatio, of Aphrodite, uh, of Aphrodisio, sorry, and that occurs in the second fragmentary calendar at Golgoy in uh, Cyprus as well. Um, I'll come back to that because there's another month name there, which is probably certainly a month name. So I'm arguing that we've got here month names. If people want to disagree and talk about the torch race holders, um, competitors, we can do that later on. So that just gives you again where Mitford thought it came from, and that's where a came is. Same district essentially. Um, so let's come back now. Um, so Neumann argued that the list presents 11 surviving month names in the order that they occurred in the year, and Trumpy agreed with this. On this view, the list begins in winter, with the month Lapatone, um, seeing correspondences not only with the Arcadian Lapatos, but also the Mycenaean uh, Rapato, that occurs in Knossos. And the month Tiwioni, Diwios, similar to Arcadian Dios, of Zeus, Uh, we know also in um, other parts of Greece of course in Macedonia most notably in Aetolia and in Lesbos now in the reading here then if we start with Lapitone in winter by the time we get down to to Tione we're in summer late spring early summer in between we have the months Aparotisio of Aphrodisios and Tuonissio of Duonissios and you'll see where I'm leading here probably, Aphrodite and Dionysus being uh, commemorated in these names, uh, and respectively um, then occupying the season of spring, which makes sense to you, as we'll see. Now, it may be that this calendar, if this is what it is, is site-specific, relates only to the region of Acanthu. No mainland Greek calendars preserve so direct an association with Aphrodite and Dionysus in their month names, But Zeus is commemorated in several mainland Greek calendars. But an association between Dionysus with springtime can be paralleled elsewhere in the Greek world. Uh, In Athens, for instance, the month name in springtime of Anthesteria reflected a festival in honor of Dionysus. And in Aetolia, the spring month Dionysios made its association with the god more explicit in that season. Aphrodision, as a month name, occurred in both Magnesia in Thessaly and Yassos in Caria. But we've no way of assigning a time of year, a season, to those months. The second very fragmentary reference to what appear to be month names in Cyprus comes from the site of Golgoy, um, central-east Cyprus, and dates perhaps to the 4th century BCE. We have just two names preserved there. Uh, Walakino and Aprotisio, so Aprotisio again Aphrodisios, while um while, 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 Acanio, while occurs not just on Cyprus, on um, Cyprus, but at Knossos, um, at, um, in the form of Elcanios. So in that case, we I think very very much have a month name. Aprotisios then is probably a month name and I refer back to a as a list of month names. So, in that case, taking all of that into uh, sum, what we seem to have at a with the Bulba tablet is an association of the uh, goddess Aphrodite through a month named Aphrodisios with the, m- the season of spring. Uh, given the f- f- fertility aspects of Aphrodite herself, that would seem to make sense, generally. But that uh, optimistic um, connection or association uh, seems to get undone with the later development of the calendar in Cyprus, um, at least according to the standard view of it. So if we move to the Hellenistic period, the island is a possession of the Ptolemies of Egypt uh, after an initial struggle with the um, uh, Antigonids in Macedonia. Uh, and certainly from about 310 on BCE onwards, uh, we're looking at uh, something working uh, under the Ptolemies. As a result, for, certainly from the mid-3rd century BCE, it's the Macedonian calendar, which I've given you here uh, in the names of its month uh, names, that was used. And then from at least the middle of the 2nd century BCE, the Egyptian calendar. Um, became the standard, certainly in Salamis and the east of the island throughout the rest of the Ptolemaic Hellenistic period. The Egyptian calendar itself was reformed by Augustus, the Roman emperor, in 30 BCE with the introduction of a leap year so that the opening day of year, the first day of Thoth, fell thereafter unchangeably on the 29th of August. But in Salamis, this calendar underwent a couple of further changes, with two months being renamed to encompass the fact of Roman rule and New Year's Day being shifted from the 29th of August to the 4th of September, uh, shifts which Satcher has argued belong to the 20s BCE rather than the 40s that they um, had been hitherto. That calendar was still, in, uh, still current in the time of Bishop Epiphanius in the 4th century CE. Now... The Egyptian calendar obscures matters for me because the, or even the Macedonian one does too, because the month names, other than Dios and Zeus, therefore, the month names of both calendars bear no direct relationship to the Greek gods, Aphrodite, Dionysus, whoever, uh, or their cultic cycles, at least through their names. At best, I think we could look for festivals of the Egyptian gods who've been (coughs) equated with Greek gods, Uh, But this leads nowhere until the fixing of the wandering Egyptian year with the establishment of the Alexandrian calendar under Augustus. Before those reforms, every festival ran through all the seasons over the period of the Sothic cycle of 1460 Julian years. So none is distinctly associated with a specific season. So let's shift to the Roman. With the introduction of the Julian calendar itself in the Greek East, the possibility arises of a reintroduction of relationships between month names and cult festivals in the year. And I say this because of what we learn of the calendar or calendars of Western Cyprus from later sources. Epiphanius, Bishop of Salamis in the late 4th century CE, tells us that there were two calendars in use in Cyprus in his time, one in Salamis in the East itself and the other in Paphos in the West. The one in Salamis was the Egyptian, uh, ultimately the Alexandrian form of that, while the one in Paphos was what we came to be called, the, um, by modern scholarship, the Imperial Roman. On the basis of surviving inscriptions, Mitford in the 1960s saw the Imperial Roman calendar as encompassing western, northern and possibly southern Cyprus, and the Salaminian calendar he regarded as eastern Cyprus. The early medieval haemirologia, which we'll hear about later today um, and which survive from the 9th century but reflect must reflect earlier forms of calendars, refer to the calendar of Cyprus. By this they appear to mean Epiphanius' calendar of Cyprus, but I do take on board Sasha's um, um, concerns that what we have in the haemirologia may actually be different calendars at different times in different places, um, whether they're called of Cyprus or what. So, the calendar of Paphos then. Also nicknamed the calendar of 2 BC or 2 BCE. And this is what we get from the hemorrhagia. So your month names down on the left there, starting with Aphrodisios on the 23rd of September. Apagonicos, Aeneos, Julios, Caesarios, Sebastos, Demarchex, Nusios, Pletipatos, Archeareos, Hestios, Romaios. Curious names. The year starts with the month of Aphrodisius on the 23rd of September, the birthday of the Emperor Augustus. And it then runs Julian fashion, which is why I've given you the dates there. Um, it's, uh, in other words, it has the Julian length of months. The calendar in its month names honours the Emperor Augustus through reference to his Julian family ancestry and a variety of political offices that he had held. Autocratoricus. these are Greek names, is the equivalent of imperator. Uh, Demarchexusios is the tribune of the plebs. Plethypatos, hupatos refers to the consul, and Archireus to Pontifex Maximus. Now that last office, so Archireus down here, Pontifex Maximus, was assumed by Augustus in 12 BCE, following the death of Lepidus. Domachevsky took the calendar therefore to date after 12 BCE uh, because the office of Pontifex of Maximus is referenced and to be later still because of its exact correspondence, he says, with the calendar of the Roman province of Asia, which I provide there on the right. Starting with the month Kaiser on the 23rd of September, a distinct reference to Augustus and his birthday, and then Uh, indeed what are the rest of the Macedonian months following that. Uh, The introduction of that calendar of Asia um, if we follow I suppose the current view um, very much promoted uh, by Bennett um, then we're looking at something from 8 BCE. Uh, Parts of me still believe that 5 BCE might be the appropriate date but it's small uh, small bickies. so this calendar on the left, one from Paphos, uh, as we know from the Hemorologia, is assumed was introduced by 2 BCE uh, because the big title that's really missing from there is any reference to Pater Patriae, Father of the Fatherland, which Augustus was given in 2 BCE. No reference to that. So the assumption is that the calendar predates that. Uh, Idler, the German Idler. Um, reported an earlier suggestion that the month names that you've got there on the left represent the following sentence, and you end up reading this vertically. Veneris, Saboles, Aeneas, Aeulius, Caesar, Augustus, Imperator, and so on. And what you end up then with is a series of titles of Augustus, almost as if you're reading an inscription or a coin, something like that. Now, Scott, um, more recently, has simply dismissed that out of hand. But I wonder if there's actually some truth in the idea. Uh, Why do you provide the names associated with uh, Augustus and his titles in that particular order? If the calendar was designed, like the Asian calendar before it, there, to... um, give homage to the Emperor, particularly by naming the first month of the year uh, Kaiser after the Emperor, uh, then why not formulate all the months in some form to commemorate the Emperor? It's a clever idea, as Idola called it, and it's politically advantageous. I'm not going to dismiss it out of hand, uh, that that's one reason why it starts in that form. So that's the calendar of Pathos that we have Uh, from the Hemerologiae, it seems to date to around 2 BCE, Uh, and of interest to us is the retention of the month name Aphrodisios. Everything else refers um, to Augustus, to his ancestry, to his titles, or to Rome itself down below. Now, before this, it's been argued, there was another form of calendar, probably at Paphos. And it was published in 1900 by Boll, um, when he was providing a, um, an edition of a um, zodiacal ca- text in a codex in Paris. 16th century manuscript. And it provides an astrological calendar, a dodeca eteris, um, in 12 years. And each year is assigned to one of the 12 zodiacal signs. In the course of that, it provides a series of a number of the months, which are then given equations with Julian months. A full list of all 12 isn't provided by that calendar, but is derivable from another source, um, another medieval source known as the Book of Glossae, or Glossaries, um, the Liber Glossarum. Uh, and also by an 11th-century author, Papias, uh, who was also working off glosses in manuscripts. So if I put that together, this is what we have. Different set of names. Uh, That's the form we get from the um, glossae. Very curious names. Sort of Greek. If we go to... um, The um, equations in the codex, the Parisian codex, and tidy up the Greek through that, then Sebastos becomes Sebastos, which is the Greek form of Augustus, Agrippios, Libios, Octavios, and so on. So you've got the corrupt forms, the medieval corrupt forms there, and then you've got the original ones there, uh, as we know it from the codex. Now, the calendar of 2 BCE had commemorated Augustus through his ancestry and his offices. This calendar, in contrast, still references aspects of Rome and Augustus. So we have um, Aphrodisios, uh, Aeneados, Romaios um, and Cassios. So these are references back to Aphrodite, the ancestral goddess of the family of Augustus, Anchises, Aeneas, the Trojan heroes who found their way to um, settle in Italy. Refers then to Augustus himself, and then uh, more interestingly, particular members of his family. So we have Sebastos, Augustus himself at the top. Uh, We have Libaios, a reference to his wife, Livia. Uh, Octavius, a reference to his sister, Octavia. Eulaios has been um, restored there, would be a reference to um, probably his daughter Julia. Neronias, uh, his stepson through Livia. Um, Nero, which is the emperor Tiberius later on. And Tiberius's brother, Drusus, Drusaios. And then, as I say, aspects of Rome, of, um, his ancestry, and then Rome, Ramios, and Capitolios. Now, on the basis of those family connections, the calendar was believed to be dated to between 21 and 12 B.C. And those are the dates between when Agrippa married Augustus' daughter Julia and when Agrippa died. A more specific date to around 15 B.C. was also thought possible as this was when Paphos received special favour from the Emperor after an earthquake in that year. Whatever its precise date, since the study of Domoshevsky uh, in the early part of the 20th century, the calendar has been taken to be an earlier version of the calendar of 2 BCE. So we've got the two there side by side. And that's based on its similar deference to the Emperor Augustus and its month names, except by 2 BCE, um, it suffered the deletion of the imperial family members, perhaps due to their deaths or political demise leaving only Augustus himself honoured in glorious isolation. So Agrippa had died in 12 BCE, Octavia in 11, Drusus in 9, Tiberius had sent himself off into self-imposed exile in 6, and Julia had disgraced herself thoroughly in 2. Uh, in addition, we've got those three names, Aphrodisios, Aeneas and Romaius, which recall the same names as um, Paphos in 2 BCE. So it suggests the calendar is Cypriot and probably Paphian as well. Carl Bennett in a PhD um, in 1980 thought that the demise of various members of the imperial family as as an explanation for the change of uh, month names was less likely to be the cause of the change than simply a desire to propagandise the imperial titulary. Uh, He notes that Livy was still alive but she's no longer commemorated uh, which Borders on insulting, I suppose. And after Augustus' time, Tiberius is going to be named, um, uh, honoured in a month name as well. So it's specific to Augustus, he sees it. He may be on the right track, but I think it's still a symptom of something deeper a desire to honour the emperor uh, for a more fundamental reason, which may be uh, the relief provided by the emperor after the earthquake of 15 BCE. Working on um, this uh where are we oh, wrong one? On this one here. Uh, we've got uh, Aphrodisios um, in May over in two BCE it's in September. We've got Capitolios in September. It's not there in the later calendar. But if I just pick on those two correlations of uh, Aphrodisios in May through to September, and Capitolius in September. Domaszewski had worked on the assumption that Capitolius was so-called from Jupiter Capitolinus, the chief god of the Roman pantheon. Uh, And its equation with September would be correct, he felt, because the great festival of Jupiter fell in September, the Ludi Romani. Um, Hill, in his um, history of Cyprus, uh, agreed with this and then pointed out this also leaves us with Aphrodisius falling in May, in other words, in late spring. By the time we get to two BCE, Aphrodite's month Aphrodisius has moved to September, the birthday of Augustus. It would still be appropriate because Augustus as a Julian, a member of the Julian family, traced his ancestry back to Venus Aphrodite. But clearly it's no longer in spring, it's now in autumn. Mitford disagreed with this entirely. He dismissed it as fickle, the idea that you would shift uh, the month from spring to autumn in such a short period, between about 12 BCE and 2 BCE. Um, And yet that really ignores the documentary evidence uh, that the zodiac list and the the, um, manuscript in Paris essentially give us that association of aphrodisios with May uh, rather than September. Uh, And I think there are, in the whole history of calendars, instances where, uh, in a very short period of time, that shift uh, from starting the calendar at one time of the seasonal year to another uh, can be paralleled uh, just out of um, uh, interest. The French Republican calendar from 1793 to 1805, it only lasted 12 years, Uh, but in that time it uh, uh, suddenly shifted the beginning of the year from uh, winter in January through to the autumn equinox and then it had to revert again. In other words, um, political circumstances in that case can drive quite drastic changes. So I'm not convinced that uh, Mitford's right in being uh, dismissive of the idea that at one stage the calendar could have Aphrodisios in May in spring and then relatively suddenly in September in autumn, because by then it's doing a different job. It's commemorating the emperor. Mitford also argued against it on the basis that, in the re, um, uh, before 15 BCE, uh, Paphos would have used the Egyptian calendar, uh, and therefore it would have had, as he said, an immutable start to the year in September. Um, but that really isn't the case until um, Augustus fixes the Egyptian calendar. Before then, it's going to wander through all the seasons. So there was not a customary expectation in Cyprus that the year should begin in autumn, or September, or whatever. So, to try and sum up what is, I I appreciate, a very confusing picture. In Cyprus, we arguably have calendars from the Archaic period to the Roman period, which unsurprisingly honoured, in their month names, the goddess Aphrodite, the principal deity of the island. The earliest surviving calendar, the Bulwer Tablet, also appears to have honoured the gods Dionysus and Zeus, uh, all in the seasons of spring and summer. By the time we get to the Roman period, the so-called calendar of 15 BCE is possibly replaced by a revision around 2 BCE, which retains um, throughout a month dedicated to Aphrodite, but it shifts it from spring, which may be the traditional period where that was situated, in civic calendars, shifts it from spring to autumn, by that stage to suit the birthday of Augustus on the 23rd of September. We might also associate that shift with the impact of the calendar of Asia, let's say that's come in by 8 BCE, uh, and again with a similar homage to Augustus by starting the year uh, on the 23rd of September with his birthday. The calendar of 2 BCE then prioritizes, let's put all three there together, then prioritizes the island's patron deity Aphrodite by starting the year with her month, but it manages to do double duty by also honoring the imperial Julian family because she's also its divine ancestor. So the emperor's own family is honored there as well. And indeed the emperor, if anything, is honored twice through the months uh, equivalent to January and February which start the year in the west. So I haven't got that there, but um, Kaisarios and Sebastos both effectively refer to Augustus, certainly to the emperor and then to Augustus. So he gets two dibs at it. He's uh, at the um, western start of the calendar in January. uh, And then in the eastern Cypriot, he's there on the 23rd of September as well through Aphrodite, his ancestor. So I should probably stop there. Um, there are other things that I want the calendar to do, which is to look at the cultic life of Cyprus. But if anyone wants to know about that, perhaps we, we can talk about it later. I've got a couple of slides on that, but we can see how we go. Thank you. Do we have uh,
1: any questions?
0: In your calendar of 15 BC, you uh have Anchises who's Anchises, who's the father of Aeneas in the second. You know, he had an affair with Aphrodite. Yep. I'm just wondering whether or not you can work out why, you know, Anchises disappeared and to be replaced by Aeneas and Aphrodite. I all relate Yes, no, I agree. I agree with you. It is a good question, that. And I think there are issues in the... Um, Standard interpretation of 15 BCE calendar as to what the relationships are that are being commemorated. Uh, and the, um, that relationship between Aphrodite, Anchises, and Aeneas is something that you would think is actually quite important. Why does it disappear? So I think there's certainly more work to be done on that. Um, and, uh, and the thing I would be looking for would be other instances of, particularly I think, Anchises' reference uh, elsewhere in other Eastern calendars. Uh, To see if it's there. But it is, I think, a uh, potential flaw in the traditional interpretation of who is being on here and why. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Thank you for very interesting paper. I have a question about this um, bulwark Yes. I'll bring it up again. Um, Yeah. uh, Do you want that one? uh, Those us have the picture to your photo. No, the thing you just had the uh, drawing. Right. Yes. So that's uh, in these red boxes, yes? Yes, it, it is. looks sir. like there are no lines missing. There are bits missing on the left side of the tablet of the... That's right, yes. yeah. So what I don't understand is that that's the list of months. Why are there only the 11? Yeah. Uh, again, it depends on what the nature of the document is. Um, it need not... I mean, to call it a calendar should imply that we should have all 12. i appreciate that. Um, but it depends on whether it is um, what the document is actually doing. If it's a commercial document, for instance, uh, it may not need the full year. There may be a date, month of the year in terms of whatever transactions are being enumerated. Uh, Yeah, maybe. uh, Well, certainly it's interesting in the British Museum, they push the possibility that it's a commercial document. Um, But that would explain the missing month. Certainly there are months in our... uh, calendrical documents elsewhere in the greek world and i think particularly of many mission tablets in delphi uh, that are very partial in terms of uh, giving us months of the year because of the nature of what the document is doing so it really depends on what the the document is is trying to tell us Uh, even in Mitford's interpretation that it gave us the list of the competitors um, well in in his case it didn't matter how many competitors there were because we don't know Uh, yes it gives us 11. that then elides any issue about, why don't we have a 12th or 13th or whatever? There is an issue in terms of, yes, we might expect 12, but what did they do, going back to an earlier question, I think, in John's paper, what do you do with an intercalary month, if they had one? Um, so maybe there were 13 names, or they repeated one. We don't know. But certainly, I think you can make a case that you don't need all 11 months in a document doing something other than telling us time. Is the rest of the text. Uh, yes, it's, uh, well, it's, it's, it is legible. I'm not a, 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 by any means uh, conversant in Cypriot um, um The degree to which people have depended on Mitford's reading, as opposed to one in about 1910 by the German Meister, uh, when the tablet was first found, who then disappeared for 50 years in a private collection. Um, but their two readings differ markedly uh, in terms of what those. Uh, e- even the um, signs show. So it'd be nice to know what it's about. Yes, we would. <laughs> yeah, I'm very aware that I'm making an argument that's almost the shape of that, but it's based on if 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 if, if, if then. If we might it's an inverted pyramid of an argument, um, and we take if we take away the argument that it's a calendar at all, then yeah, um, you have to start from scratch again. Thank you very much. That's terrific. Uh, for, for, can I ask about the Roman, what Roman period ones? Yeah. Uh, when, when city's city changing its calendar, do you to, do you see it as a process whereby an entire new roster of months is rolled out, or might it be the case that, as as we know, happened in Rome, individual months get remade? Yeah. Yeah. I a good question. Um, the case of the Asian calendar is only one month change his name, that, that's simple. Uh, and we can say that, you know, the um, proconsul did then, Mac- the Fabius Maximus, was clever. Uh, very, well, no real change at all, even changing the start of the year uh, to the 23rd of September. Calendars in that region were used to starting after the autumn equinox, so uh, no big shake. Um, but changes to um, a whole calendar, if I try to think off the top of my head of uh, parallels to doing that. Uh, as if, if, you,
1: if you adopt one of
0: these schemas where there's a kind of hidden type titular, yeah. you, the yeah. whole lot has to change, doesn't it? It does, it does, yeah. Or relationship between people. But. Yeah. Or, or perhaps you have both kinds of change. People mm. set up something that makes perfect sense. And then individuals come along and change and it becomes more and more incoherent. Again, I can think of modern parallels. Um, Well, an ancient parallel would be in the Roman period when Commodus tries to change everything uh, to names or titles associated with him. And of course, he dies a death with himself. Uh, And in modern times, the Russian Revolutionary calendar or the French Revolutionary calendar. So things like that, Um, brutal times seem to have brutal changes. Uh, And the population, I I don't know, and in many cases probably ignore it because life goes on. Uh, It's going to satisfy political conditions. Concerns more than anything else. Um, so I think you can say there are certainly in human uh, history instances where it would happen, hold bolus uh, But you would like to think that people would be more careful about it. But that's rather like you know changing the idea, uh, changing or taking into account um, uh, when Augustus has to change the calendar because the leap day has been miscalculated, uh, and he takes his time over it over a number of years. Uh, when it happens in 1572 with the Gregorian change, wham. Um, and all sorts of legends have grown up around that. Uh, but you, societies do different things. But uh, I think you're right to pick on the, you know, what happened in the Roman world. And yes, I can pick a late imperial example, like Commodus, to say, whole oh, change can take place. But that's under an autocrat. Um, I'm not sure that, well, Augustus was an autocrat, but he was still finding his way, I think, through most of his time. Um, what would happen in the East, I think, is the uh, homage that they were prepared to honor, uh, offer to the emperor, because he had literally saved their lives. That's in the text that uh, gives us the Asian calendar. Uh, he was the life giver there. Uh, and I suspect in Paphos the same occurred after the major earthquake, uh, when Augustus paid the tribute of the island out of his <coughs> resources, rather than expecting Paphos to do that for him. Um, so. How do you repay that? Uh, uh,
1: yeah, I mean, you, you certainly see in the decree of the calendar of Asia that the, the whole purpose of the decree, which is well, HBC, I think it's H.
0: Yes, you've pushed yeah. 8 BC with, with, with yeah. Bennett, yes, Chris. Yeah. Um,
1: so it's really quite close in time to, to these calendar changes, and it's all related politically. Yeah. But in the, the decree of the, the calendar of Asia, which is, has actually been preserved in many copies, it's a unique mm. document because it shows us how, how these things actually happened. But the, the only concern of the proconsul is to honour Augustus on his birthday. That's that's the only thing, and and therefore the new year has to be on the 23rd of September. But also, once you make a decree like that, the whole calendar has to change because it can't remain lunar. It remains lunar. You can't keep the the, the birthday of Augustus every year. The new year uh, every year on the on the same date. Mm. So uh, it's sort of happens that sort of by the way, you know, we'll, we'll change the whole calendar, we'll, 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 we'll adapt it to the Julian calendar, but, but all for the purpose of honoring Augustus on his birthday, mm. yeah? Mm. That's yeah, yeah. More or less what, what happens there, but the, of course the, the, the result, we tend to think of calendars as something which is useful, you know, so the administrators mm. of the Roman Empire mm. need to have calendars which are compatible, but that's not the way they see it the way they see it is really political gesturing and acts of loyalty to the emperor but I wanted to say something that I, I, I find it really fascinating actually that Aphrodisias mm-hmm. Aphrodisios rather is the first month of um, the calendar of 2 BCE um, because um, particularly when you contrast it with the calendar of Asia where the first month of the calendar of Asia is Kaisa, which is in the mm. season, and all oh. the rest are just wow. the, the the normal Macedonian month names. And here it's exactly the reverse. Um, I think it's very interesting, and I I have argued that the the reason why all these provinces and cities in the east don't simply adopt the Julian calendar and finished, you know, just you know, thank you very much, Julian calendar. That's the end of the story is that they do want to retain a certain sense of autonomy and identity, and they don't, they don't want to just give in to the, to the Roman imperial calendar. They, they want to assert a, a certain sense of their own autonomy. And, um, and, and that's why they all have something a bit different. I'm just wondering if this isn't a sort of game that's going on here. On the one hand, we're going to call every single month of the year after something to do with Augustus. But still, the first month, which is meant to be the birthday month, we're still going to call itself Odysseus.
0: There are some, I think, what happens in Cyprus, I think there are some much deeper um, concerns there, and that is the great goddess herself. Uh, And okay, in that case, you can say that because they they eventually equate her with Aphrodite, she is then, um, by chance, also the mother of um, Augustus, many times removed. So that's a beautiful um, coincidence. And I think in the Eastern Mediterranean, they're very good at that, at being able to find ways of preserving uh, a very deep, long-standing tradition uh, of honouring the great goddess. Um, But also, well, here's the new emperor. And even the calendar of Asia, that document, uh, yes, it celebrates his birthday, but it celebrates his salvific purpose, that he has saved them. And from that moment of his birthday, the world started again. Um, so there's um, uh, something again deeply religious going on uh, I think there of commemorating him and we know the the emperor's figure um, uh, the figure of the emperor was much more honoured in the east than it could dare to be in the west but yes I think what I find interesting then is what happens down the Levant in the Palestinian area and each individual city, Ascalon, um, uh, Sidon, Tyre go their own way Mm-hmm. Uh, but find a way of bringing the Julian in eventually. Yeah. Um,
1: and, and just one of the points completely unrelated, but that's the last question about the missing 12 months. So um, I just wanted to mention one parable but I don't know what <coughs> to make of it. But in the, in the Roman calendar, there are, um, there are months which are numbered up to 10, like September, yeah. hmm. November, December. Hmm. And then that's it, yeah. as if, as if there were only 10 months yeah in the year, and there's a whole tradition of scholarship going back to late antiquity about why is it that they're only 10 months, and with theories that the Roman calendar originally only had 10 months. But um, well, one theory which goes around, I don't know if it's true or not, is that the winter months, they were actually 12 months, but the, the two winter months were not named. <laughs> I don't know how you refer to them when they're not named, but they were not named. And the reason why they're not named is because nothing much happens in the winter, people stay. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. and, yes. uh, and it's to retain a certain element of flexibility yeah. in the calendar, yeah. which I'm just thinking the, the 12 month missing here would be a winter month, wouldn't yeah. it? Yes,
0: yeah, yeah, it would be. You remind me there, of, I once mentioned it to a Canadian student of ours, and he said, oh, it's the same in, among the Inuit. Uh, they have a couple of months with no names. And I said, well, what do they do? How do they start the year? He said, oh, it's when the caribou return. And that's the name of their first month of the year, when the caribou return. So it's totally flexible. And if you do work within a, uh, in that case, hunter-gatherer type of society, I think one can understand that they are uh, dead months. You're not going to go out and you're not going to do anything, but you're inside telling stories, uh, keeping warm. (laughs) But certainly there are, um, we'd say, cross-cultural parallels to having only 10 or 11 months in the year uh, around the world. And I have no problem myself accepting that at a very early stage, the Romans may well have been like that. Otherwise, we do have a problem, why do they number 1 to 10? <laughs> a small point about the forward Tapper. Um on, on some of the month's names, there's a, um, a final silk NE, which you haven't noticed, not noted in the transcription no. before am um, sorry, this is one of the areas where uh, there's disagreement among the Cypriot scholars themselves, uh, so Mitford and later people, as to what is actually going on in the script. Um, and what does it signify? Uh, the trouble with it being syllabic like that is that, um, well, it's not like Hebrew or Arabic. It's not as drastic as that, but you can pretty, pretty well make it what you want <laughs> up to some form of Greek. Um, so I don't have an answer to that. Uh, it is one of the areas where the scholars who are more familiar with the script uh, I mean, still disagree. That represents a final end, it, it looks to me a yeah. little bit more like a, you know, an attic month. Yes, it does. It does. Uh, uh, that's a good point. Thank you very much. Yes. Yeah. Jonathan, I think you had.
1: Yeah, so I was going to ask, with uh, that tablet again? So there's the first column with private names mm. theme, and then, mm. So what would you make out of this uh, combination? What would these names go for? Would the, are they priests, you know, secular priests or like a... Uh, like in Athens, you've got something
0: like that. I've I've got an open mind at the moment because it's only since I saw that the British Museum catalogue, online catalogue says that we may have names and months without specifying, well, so what? uh, That I wondered, like that question, well, what are they doing then? Um, And why would you have them as a series of um, consecutive months?
1: I've got an analogy. It might be very far-fetched, I don't know, but in in the Book of Kings, there's a list of uh, Prefects by Solomon, who supplied uh, whatever it needed for food for the royal court throughout 12 months of the year. So one ah, prefect, yes, for a region that supplies food for the king. For that, year. So that's, that might be far-fetched, but that's
0: mm, far-fetched. No, I quite like that. It might explain the 12th month that doesn't exist, and you know, it was, it was the winter month. month. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much. Yes.
1: Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know Questions? Let's thank again Robert for his <laughs> fascinating.